Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm John O'Brien, host of Money and Wealth on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Now, every Thursday, my newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better, I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. We all might have different starting points and end goals, but as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look. And I'm obsessed with looking for it. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. Each week, I have a short conversation with someone who inspires me or teaches me something about life, leadership, and other curious things. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Listen to A Bit of Optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jacob Goldstein. I used to host Planet Money. Now I'm starting a new show. It's called What's Your Problem? Every week on What's Your Problem, entrepreneurs and engineers describe the future they're going to build once they solve a few problems. I'm talking to people trying to figure out how to do things that no one on the planet knows how to do, from creating a drone delivery business to building a car that can truly drive itself. Listen to What's Your Problem on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Mark Moss Show, where we talk about the decentralized revolution the world is going through. We're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about cryptocurrencies. We're trying to keep you up to date on how this world is changing, looking at it through the lens of politics, looking at it through the lens of finance, and of course, technology as those three come together on a collision course. Now, politics, finance, and technology. Of course, politics and finance go together. You know, the old days of you of being a financial analyst means I would look at data, like economic data. I would look at um, financial numbers. Unfortunately, today, it's mostly politically driven. We're all trying to guess what the Federal Reserve, what Jerome Powell is going to do, what's in his head. And it's mostly politically motivated. There's midterms coming up. What will they do before the midterms? Are, you know, which president are they going for? Uh, and then even, even when we get into the more of the financial system, like the SEC, Securities Exchange Commission, being headed by someone named Gary Gensler, and his decisions are very politically motivated. So we have to look at the political side to understand what's going on there so then we can understand what effects that will have on the financial system and, of course, um, Technology is what changes everything. And so that's kind of where we're at today. We're looking at the head of that, and there's big news, because the head of the SEC just made a big decision this week. As a matter of fact, there was two really big things that uh, the head of the SEC said this week. The SEC, um, you know, it's a small er, a small-ish organization inside the government, but if you're an investor... Uh, if you're involved in money and finance, they're very, very powerful. 
very big organization. And so the SEC Securities Exchange Commission are basically there to keep you safe, supposedly. So everything they do is trying to keep you safe. They're trying to prevent companies from scamming you and ripping you off and things like that. Um, but of course, it doesn't really work out that way. So for example, the SEC puts rules into place like um, accredited investor laws, for example. So an accredited investor means that in order to get into like the really, really good deals, like the private money deals where you can make huge returns on your money, in order to get into those types of deals, you have to be what's known as a, an accredited investor. And that means that you have to make over a certain amount of income. Um, you have to have a, over a certain amount of assets, which means you basically are in like the top, I don't know, 1% of, of, uh, of uh, people in the United States when it comes to income. Let's see what the uh, updated accredited investment numbers are right here. Requirements for accredited investors. Okay, I must have an annual income exceeding $200,000 or $300,000 for joint income for the last two years with the expectation of earning the same or higher income in the current year. So you have to make at least $200,000 or $300,000 jointly and be making more. You could also be considered an accredited investor if you have a net worth exceeding $1 million, either individually or jointly with their spouse. Um, but I believe that cannot include your private residence. So you have to have a million dollars of assets. So that, so you're a credit investor. So you can't get into the very best deals, the really, really good deals, the private deals, the ones that make a lot of money, unless you're a credit investor. Now, what happens is because of that, it keeps the average person out. And then the insiders, the rich people, they get into all those early round deals. They get into venture capital. They get early round stakes into the Teslas and the Facebooks and the Ubers. And then when the company runs for a decade and it goes public, as soon as it goes public, then the average person can go buy that stock. And then what happens? Well, those VCs that got in really early, they dump it on you. So typically, once uh, IPOs happen, um, initial public offerings, and the stock goes public, where the average person, the non-accredited investor can get it, well, they get dumped on and the price typically goes down. So good job, SEC, uh, protecting everybody. Um, do we have a uh, applause? I think we have an applause there. Let's see here. Uh, I'm not good with my sound effects. We'll try and get better at it. There we go. Good job, SEC. Good job. All right. Appreciate all the work that you've done protecting all those uh, non-accredited investors. So, um, you know, like I've said many times before, of course, those non-accredited investors, they're, they're not smart enough to manage their own money. Never mind they made it, but they're not smart enough to manage it. Uh, but there is no protections on buying lottery tickets or going gambling in casino. Um, but anyway, back to the SEC, that's what they're there to protect. And so the SEC wants to protect us from ourselves. And we've been waiting on them to do a lot of uh, regulations on what they consider cryptocurrencies and, and how we regulate cryptocurrencies. Now, Gary Gensler, he took over the, the SEC, I don't know, maybe the last year or two, I forget exactly when he came in. And everybody in the crypto space was pretty uh, hopeful of having Gary Gensler come in because Gary Gensler understands Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies very well. As a matter of fact, Gensler taught courses on Bitcoin at MIT. If you're not familiar with MIT, it's one of the most prestigious schools when it comes to science and technology. So he's at the most prestigious school for science and technology, and he's teaching classes on Bitcoin. Like, he gets it. 
very, very well. He's a proponent of it. He was, why was he teaching people about it? Because he wanted them to know. He wanted to advance it. Um, so he got it, and we thought that'd be really good. But of course, he hasn't been so good, um, maybe for more political reasons. We can talk about that. But um, this week, SEC's Gary Gensler reiterated that Bitcoin alone is a commodity. What does that mean? Well, most cryptocurrencies are what they consider an unregistered or an unlicensed security. Now, companies that uh, create unlicensed securities or sell unlicensed securities or people that talk about buying unlicensed or unregistered securities could get in a lot of trouble. As a matter of fact, we've seen many celebrities actually get in trouble with fines and lawsuits for talking about cryptocurrencies. They're getting paid to promote them, the Paris Hiltons or the Acons. Um, they get paid to promote it, talk about it publicly, but it's an unregistered security, and they've gotten in trouble for it. And so a lot of talk has been what, what's unregistered securities, what's not. But the US, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commissioner Gary Gensler has reiterated his claim that Bitcoin is a commodity. Um, some, quote, some like Bitcoin, and that's the only one, Jim, I'm going to say because I'm not going to talk about any of these tokens that my predecessors and others have said are a commodity, Gensler said in an interview with CNBC's Jim Cramer on Monday. Some like Bitcoin, and that's the only one, that's what he said. Now, Again, uh, this is a departure from his predecessors and his unwillingness to define Ethereum as the same way. So his predecessor said Ethereum maybe, he said for sure it was a security, but it, it could have converted into a commodity is what they said before. Um, but now Gensler's like, nope, um, I'm, uh, the only one that I see it is that. It says, uh, he said, crypto financial assets have the key attributes of a security, he said recently, noting there's always almost a centralized entity that directs projects and stands to profit the most. That was certainly the case when the Ethereum blockchain fit uh, first burst onto the scene with an initial coin offering a motley crew of builders and investors and institutions such as the Ethereum Foundation. So, uh, but then in 2018, SEC director um, said Ethereum might be able to have reached the level of, of a commodity, uh, but Gary Gensler doesn't think so, which is pretty interesting. Um, now, this goes back to what I've been saying, which is um, the real revolution. There's a technological revolution happening here today. And most people are completely blind to it because of cryptocurrency or blocking that. But there's a real revolution happening today. The real revolution is decentralization. That's the real revolution here. Now, per the words of the SEC right here, it says that uh, it says crypto financial assets are, are a security. Um, they're always almost a centralized entity that directs projects and stands to profit. So they're not decentralized. The revolution is decentralization. Most crypto assets aren't anything but Bitcoin. That's Gary Gensler's words, not mine. I got a lot more to cover, including a really big ruling that they made this week, and it fired off a lawsuit. We're going to see massive fireworks happening. You don't want to miss what I'm about to talk about in a second. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show, um, talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. I'll be back with more in a minute. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution that's happening. Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, the way the world is changing, politics, finance, all of that. Now, I call it the decentralized revolution because that's the revolution. 
from, from many standpoints, on a 250-year time frame, a pendulum swings back, and the world swings to centralization or globalization. And we're peaking out right now. And then the pendulum swings back the other way to decentralization. At the very same time, we have a technological revolution that's happening on a 50-year time frame. And the technological revolution that's happening right now is giving us a new technology that gives us decentralization. That is the revolution. Now, that's why I call this, uh, what we talk about is the decentralized revolution, talking about the way the world is decentralizing from a political standpoint, from a geopolitical standpoint, from an energy commodity standpoint, and of course, it's all being led by the changing of the money. Now, I, I make that point to tell you that that's the revolution, and Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC, basically said as much, um, saying that only Bitcoin is a commodity. All the rest appear to be uh, some sort of a security because of the centralization. There's always, in his words, almost always a centralized entity that directs projects and stands to profit the most. Um, it was, it's the case with Ethereum, um, blah, blah, blah. All right, I'm not going to read all that again. Um, OG Bitcoiner Jameson Lop, for instance, made the distinction recently saying most cryptos are decentralized in name only or dinos. I hadn't heard that term before, dinos, but I like it. Shout out to Jameson Lop. And likely unregistered securities, MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor called for crypto's, quote, parade of horribles to be stamped out by regulators. Now, um, shout out to Michael Saylor. Um, I don't necessarily agree with him. You know, I'm not a big fan of regulations. Let people do what they want, in my opinion, but they should know what they're doing. Now, there is something about a, a fraud so if I, or a scam, if I were to say that I was going to sell you one thing, but I delivered you something else, that would be fraud or that'd be a scam. And there, there are laws against that. And so if I were to sell you a token and tell you that it was a decentralized protocol, but it wasn't, that would be a fraud or a scam. And so that should be illegal. And, uh, you know, for them to be stamped out by regulators, I, I suppose the regulators should say, hey, you guys are actively perpetrating uh, frauds and scams. You're selling things that you promise are something, but they're not. Um, so I suppose there could be something there for that. Um, in Sailor's world, the government's stamp of approval is a stepping stone towards Bitcoin being embraced as a treasury reserve asset. Um, but that's not the big news that I want to talk about. The big news that I want to talk about is uh, Grayscale. Now, you might have heard of Grayscale before. If you haven't, you certainly are going to hear about it now. Because Grayscale Grayscale was like really the first way that allowed people to buy Bitcoin um, through like a 401k or a mutual fund or if you're like a big fund. It was the first way you could buy it through a financial product as opposed to buying it directly. Now, why would you need that? Well, the average person, you and I, wouldn't. But if you had money in an IRA or in a 401k, or if you ran some sort of a fund, then you're not able to go buy Bitcoin, right? It's not a security. And so they created a fund, like an ETF, not an ETF, and we're going to talk about that, but similar to that, that allows you to buy it through those, those types of vehicles. So it was, the, it, was the, it was the first way to get a hold of Bitcoin that way. Now, they have a, it's not an ETF, and that's the crux of the matter that we're going to talk about today, but um, Grayscale created something else, um, not a... Uh, not a ETF, um, but, but, but something like that, um, that, that allowed people to get access to it. But of course, Grayscale and a lot of other people want to create a Bitcoin ETF, an exchange-traded fund. 
Grayscale is more like a close-end fund, and I'll explain to you what the difference is. But so um, Gary Gensler at the SEC has been approving Bitcoin ETFs, but they're not the right type of ETFs. What do I mean by that? So um, you have an ETF that's cash settled or futures that are cash settled or an ETF that tracks the price of the asset. And then you have one that's physical that actually holds the asset. One allows you to basically bet on the price going up or down, and one actually holds the asset to go up or down. Now, for me, I don't believe in all this manipulation and all this leverage and all this other garbage out there. I think laws of supply and demand. If all these funds bought Bitcoin, they would take the supply off the market. It would increase the demand and it would push the price up. But when you create these ETFs that allow people to just basically gamble on the price, instead of putting the money into Bitcoin and buying Bitcoin, now they're just gambling on the price of Bitcoin. So Gary Gensler seems to think that's okay. He seems to have approved several of those, but he won't approve a physical ETF. Why? I don't really know. Um, I guess I could speculate, but I don't want to do that right now. Um, I'm not really sure why he, he doesn't, but um, he certainly gets Bitcoin, and I don't know why he would do that. So anyway, Grayscale, I'm going to talk about Grayscale, um, what this close-in fund means, why it's at a massive discount to physical Bitcoin. We can look at if maybe you should buy it or not um, at a discount like it is right now. But they want to convert their close-in fund into an ETF, which is an exchange-traded fund. I think it would be best for them if they did that. I think it would be best for all their shareholders if they did that. I think it would be best for the marketplace if they did that. Um, and so they want to do that. And uh, the SEC rejected Grayscale's application to convert its Grayscale Bitcoin Trust to an exchange-traded fund this week. And so in response to that, Grayscale Investments filed a lawsuit against the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission an hour after the regulatory agency rejected its application. So there was already word on the street that Grayscale was already ready to file a lawsuit. They were already kind of preparing to get a denied application. And so as soon as it was done, it says here, an hour afterwards, they had filed the lawsuit application. Um, they, the SEC rejected it, citing concerns about the market manipulation, the role of Tether in the broader Bitcoin ecosystem, and the lack of surveillance sharing agreement between regulated market of significant size. So they're concerned about market manipulation. What do futures and ETFs that don't even own the asset do? The only thing they do is manipulate the price. So instead of buying the asset and leveraging it to short it, now I can just bet against it. It's called like naked shorting. I don't even have to own the asset. I can just bet that it goes down. Those are used to manipulate the prices. Look at gold. We don't really know. It's somewhere between three to 500 paper ounces, fake ounces, for every one real physical ounce. And all that fake paper gold is used to manipulate the price of Bitcoin down. So Gary Gensler says, hey, we're not going to approve the physical because it could be used for market manipulation. No, 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 no. It's the fake ones that create the market manipulation. I think everybody already knows that. So anyway, that's why he exposed it, or I should say rejected it, and Grayscale is going to sue. Let's take a look at what the Grayscale Trust is, why it's so severely undervalued. You can buy Bitcoin at a huge discount in their fund. 
We're going to look at that, look at the fees involved, look at the chance of you getting your full money out of it, and so much more in a minute. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution, talking about Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, and the way the world is changing in front of our very eyes through business, uh, politics, finance, and technology. So I got a lot more to cover with the GBTC, uh, Bitcoin Trust, the discount, and more when I come back in a minute, so don't go away. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. We're talking about the world changing through a lot of crazy things. <laughs> it's, it's interesting as, as the world changes, as this pendulum swings back, we get the uh, volatility. And I think that's the best way to explain what we're, what we're witnessing. And so we're talking about, uh, specifically, we're talking about um, the SEC, Securities Exchange Commission, the head, Gary Gensler. He knows Bitcoin very well. He said this week on Jim Cramer that Bitcoin is the only commodity, the rest are securities. But then he went around and denied the request of Grayscale Bitcoin Trust to convert that trust into an ETF. So I want to talk about that now. If you missed the, the first part of this and you're just tuning in, no worries. Uh, just don't let it happen again, of course. And the way you can do that is uh, pull out your phone right now, put a reminder for this date, this time, this channel. Make sure you're with me each and every week. And if you did miss it, don't worry about it. I got you covered. You can just uh, search Mark Moss uh, Podcast and uh, you can catch me over there. Now, um, back to what happened. Like I said, uh, the SEC rejecting this. Um, he said that uh, Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC, said that um, he wanted uh, he wants to protect us because uh, he wants to make sure there's better protection, so there's no market manipulation going on. But the market manipulation, as I was making the case, is brought on by people betting against the price without actually buying the asset itself, a la gold. So let's break into this a little bit now. GBTC, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. It, it trades at a discount to NAV, NAV. What does that mean? NAV is a net asset valuation. So that means that the assets that they hold, so that means that you can buy the Bitcoin trust for less than the assets that it's holding on its books. Now, why would you be able to buy a fund for less than their net asset valuation? We're going to take a look at that. But what they're trying to do is, is convert this trust into an ETF, which would then really solve the problem. So it's trading at a discount because there's some problems. We're going to dig into those problems. And if they could convert it to this ETF, it would solve the problem of this discount, why it's trading for less than its uh, market value. Now, like I was saying before, it's uh, an ETF is an exchange-traded fund. Grayscale operates as a close-in fund. And what that means is the new shares can't be created and redeemed um, in line with fluctuating demand. All right, that's how an ETF functions. So an ETF, basically every dollar in would go to buy more Bitcoin. And when you take a dollar out, they sell a dollar of Bitcoin. But a close-in fund doesn't work that way. They don't buy and sell Bitcoin in line with the demand. Um, in the ETF, they call that a redemption mechanism. And that's how you reconcile the difference between the, the, the NAV, net asset valuation, and what the market value is. And basically, like I said, that prevents shares of the ETF from trading at a discount. So it keeps the shares um, in line with the price at all times. But like I said, uh, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is way down. As a matter of fact, you can buy it at almost a 30% discount to their net asset valuation which sounds like a bargain. And I know some very uh, well known and respected 
uh, investors that are buying at this discount. I'm not. Should you? Well, I don't know. Let's take a look at that. So it says this occurs because Bitcoin was added to the fund as new investors demanded GBTC as demand waned and GBTC was sold. Bitcoin was locked in the fund, but it wasn't sold at the same rate of dem as demand waned, causing shares to trade lower than the net asset value of the trust. And what they're trying to do is that if they can convert the trust into the ETF, it would close the discount and then allow the Bitcoin to track the Bitcoin price. And for the investors that are there, it'd be a really good thing because then the investors would be able to get the appreciation of their holdings equal to the size of the discount, which means they would make a 30% spread. Sounds pretty good. That's why people were buying it, hoping that it would get approved and that it would get revalued and they would automatically make that 30%. Now, I would imagine the the... <laughs> The odds, the betting odds of it getting approved were probably pretty slim, in my opinion, anyway. I didn't expect it to happen because, of course, Gary Gensler has denied every single one so far, and I don't see that happening anytime soon. Now, part of the problem with the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is that it's expensive. So what happens is that they automatically sell 2% of the fund every year as, as their fee. So like a lot of funds, uh, you have to pay a maintenance fee. So you're, so basically for the amount of money you buy, they take 2% of your money every year to manage this fund for you. Now that's, um, right now it's about 35 Bitcoin a day, and they have almost 650,000 Bitcoin, which is a massive number, which means that uh, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust holds about 3% of all the Bitcoin supply, which is pretty amazing. And that's in there, another term, it's an AUM, which stands for Assets Under Management. Now, um, there's other ways to buy uh, Bitcoin and ETFs, like I said, but they're not uh, physically held Bitcoin. So one is the ProShares Bitcoin ETF. And they hold uh, they hold the, the futures, the Bitcoin futures. So again, it's just betting on the direction. And they charge a much lower fee. So you, that's something that you want to look at when you're looking at these types of ETFs. They all have different fees. They have different schedules. They recalculate. And it's that small print that can really get you if you don't know what you're, what you're getting into. But Grayscale, so, so the, the ProShares Bitcoin ETF holds the futures. They're just holding bets. That's it. But Grayscale actually holds Bitcoin which is good, which is why they wanted to convert into a physically held because they already have the Bitcoin. They have 650,000 Bitcoin um, AUM, assets under management. But what we can see when you look at their, uh, when, you, when you look at who owns all the GBTC, we can see that the largest holder of GBTC is Three Arrows Capital. Now, if you've been tuned into the other segments of the show, I've been talking about Three Arrows Capital, Three EC, Three AC, and how they're caught up in what I'm calling the Great Unwind. So Terra Luna went down, and it starts dragging everyone else down with it. Then we saw Celsius go down. Now we're seeing Three Arrows Capital going down, etc. And Three Arrows Capital, which uh, just got uh, just missed their payment, so they just got marked um, insolvent. They're being liquidated. They are the largest holder of Bitcoin inside the GBTC trust. And that's a problem because as they're being liquidated, people need to get access to those assets, but those assets are held inside the trust and the trust isn't liquid. It's a big problem. They hold about 38, 
million shares, equating to $530 million, or 75 times the average daily traded volume of $7 million in GBTC. So that's 75 times the average daily traded volume. So that means it's not liquid. How do you get $530 million out of something that only trades $7 million in a day? And the answer is you don't. Not very fast anyway. Now, the problem is, is that Three Arrows Capital was ordered to liquidate all the remaining assets. They're being liquidated. They can't meet the margin requirements. They're being called. Uh, they were ordered by a court in the British Virgin Islands um, to liquidate all the remaining assets, totaling over a billion dollars, which is good. But the problem is that the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust isn't liquid enough for Three Arrows Capital, 3AC, to dump all its holdings. Um, now, they could try. It's not going to go very good because it's not liquid enough. And if they did, that would lower the price of the G, of the of the trust, and then it would cause the the um, gap to grow even wider. So, what's going to happen? Well, I'll talk about that and more. I'll talk about that, the implications of this ETF conversion. Uh, talk about some things that you need to know if you're a holder of, of the trust or if you're considering being a holder of the trust. And then we'll look back a little bit more about the lawsuit that's going to happen between the trust and the SEC. going to cover all that more in a minute. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution, talking about Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, and the way the world's changing right before our very eyes. i got a lot more to cover when I come back in a minute, so don't go away. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution, talking about Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies, talking about the financial system, the markets, you know, all those things that really matter to your life. <laughs> uh, I was talking about specifically, uh, we're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about this grayscale Bitcoin trust. We're talking about how the head of the SEC, Gary Gensler, denied their application to convert the trust into an ETF. We broke down what that means, what the ETF is, what the trust is, how it works, what the discounts are, what NAV is, what AUM is. If you missed any of that, I feel bad for you. But don't worry, you can go listen to it on the Mark Moss podcast. Just Google that um, or just search on your favorite podcast player. Now, I was talking about before the break how the problem is is that um, this great unwind, all these funds dominoing into each other are creating this problem and how um, the BVI, British Virgin Islands, um, ordered Thero's Capital to liquidate all the remaining assets. The problem is they have about $530 million worth of um, assets or Bitcoin on um, the trust, but the trust only has $7 million a day. It's not a, it's not a, good, pro it's not a good problem to have. And what happens is if they force that liquidation to happen, it's going to push GBTC, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, further down and widen out the spreads which isn't good. So in the coming, you know, whatever, several weeks looking forward, as they start liquidating its remaining Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, I think we're going to see the, um, the, the gap widen. I mean, there's just no other way, right? Um, there's just not a liquid enough market for that to happen. And so I think we're going to continue to see that NAV play out. Now, like I said, I, I have known a few well-known investors who have been buying into this hoping that the spread would go the other way, uh, but it looks like the spread is probably going to continue to widen at this point. Now, like I said, if they could have converted the trust into an ETF, it would eliminate that discount, and everybody would have made money, which would have been great. 
but it's just not happening right now. Now, if you're a holder of, of, of the trust, GBTC, a couple things you should know. One, you can't convert your GBTC into Bitcoin directly. So that means you can't self-custody it. Now, part of the reason why I don't think we need a physical Bitcoin trust is because I don't need a trust to buy or an ETF to buy Bitcoin. I can just buy Bitcoin myself. That's part of the whole revolution here. I can buy the asset. I can custody it my own in my hardware wallet. I don't need someone to hold it for me. Now, futures and ETFs were created as a way to buy or have access to assets that I can't hold. So for example, futures were started by farmers and they're trying to hedge their crop. Hey, I'm growing this corn or this wheat or whatever it is. And what if, uh, what if, uh, you know, a hurricane comes or some sort of drought comes and I lose all my crop. So what I'll do is I'll sell it on the futures market today. And that way, if whatever happens, I'm hedged, right? Also as an investor, uh, how do I invest into wheat or corn or oil? I don't. I don't have giant oil tankers. And so I could invest into it by helping these farmers or these producers offset by using some sort of a fund, an ETF. So that's good. Even gold, I mean, gold's pretty easy to custody, but if I'm buying, you know, millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars of gold, it's not easy to custody that amount. And so then I can buy it through some sort of an ETF or something like that. But Bitcoin's different. Bitcoin's very easy to hold. I don't need anyone to secure it for me. It's digital. All I need to know is my password. That's it. And I can hold a dollar of Bitcoin or a hundred billion dollars of Bitcoin with just one password. And so we don't need futures. We don't need some sort of a fund to do that like we do with wheat, corn, oil, etc. So anyway, you can't custody your GBTC as you would with, with Bitcoin directly, which then creates counterparty risk. That means now... I have to trust Grayscale to hold that for me. And I don't know what that risk is. It could be very small, but it's still risk that I have to add in there. Um, and in case of Grayscale going insolvent, um, if they were to go belly up, I could potentially lose it. So I've talked about this great unwind, and we saw that the dominoes are falling to bigger and bigger people, and now it's at Genesis's door. And Genesis is owned by the same company, DCG, that also owns the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Now, I'm not trying to say that there's a panic or, or danger going on here, but if something were to happen, it creates that counterparty risk. Now, if you do own the, the trust and you're you know, upside down, you're 30% upside down, um, you know, I wouldn't panic. Um, you could probably continue to hold on. I think, um, I think you know, they're going to keep, they're, they're in a lawsuit right now. They're going to try to get this ETF through. If they get that ETF through, it maybe it takes another year, maybe it takes two years, but they could close that gap up. Now, if you, uh, you know, like I said, if you're, if you're hoping to buy it at a discount, maybe it goes down, maybe, maybe we see Three Arrows Capital liquidate, push that price down so that gap widens. Maybe you buy it at a 30, 40, 50% discount. And you can afford to wait two years or three years and see if this gets closed up. Maybe it could be a good deal. Those are ways to look at it. Now, back to the SEC, Gary Gensler. Uh, man, I mean, he gets this, right? He gets Bitcoin. He taught it at MIT. Uh, again, I don't, I don't really want to speculate, but I, I just don't know why he's rejecting all these spot or physical ETFs when he's approving the derivatives ones, when he says that he wants, he doesn't want to approve the spot because of potential manipulation, but it's the derivatives that cause all the manipulation. 
I just don't understand that. But like I said, Grayscale was already, they were already anticipating this being denied. And so they already had a lawsuit prepared and ready to go. So immediately Grayscale filed a lawsuit, but don't expect this to happen anytime soon. Um, they're suing an inept and incompetent government, um, and it could take years. I mean, we could see a year to two before we see anything come out of this. Probably, you know, most likely 2024 or something like that we see. Um, so don't hold your breath. But if you bought Bitcoin, let's say that let's say that Three Rows Capital has to liquidate. Let's say it forces that spread to be wider. Right now it's at 28%. Let's say it gets to 40%. You buy it. You wait two years. Um, and then by then, hopefully Bitcoin's back to a higher price. We're in the having, having, having cycle at that time. So let's say Bitcoin's at 20,000, it goes up to 50,000. Um, so Bitcoin's doubled or tripled in value and you get to close the gap at the same time. It could turbocharge your investments. Um, you just have to decide if that's a, a risk you want to take and if you're okay waiting that time frame for it. But um, the other thing is not only is it going to take a lot of time, it's also going to cost a lot of money. So Grayscale is going to have to spend a lot of time, but they're also going to spend a lot of money on it. And even if they do sue, sue the SEC and they go through this for a couple of years and they spend all the money, the chance of winning is probably slim to none. Well, I don't want to say none, but I'd say it's slim. Suing the government probably doesn't have a very high probability of winning. I, I know... And I know a few people who have actually had to defend themselves from the SEC. And uh, you don't win. You don't win. As a matter of fact, um, somebody, an associate that I, I knew before I worked with in the past, they were uh, under SEC lawsuits. And um, they were told in the back office, like, hey, we don't lose. So just give us something and we'll, we'll, we'll end this. So um, the chance of them winning is probably very slim, uh, but it could happen. But like I said, there's been, I want to say, at least five, if not six or seven or eight, at least five, I know, ETFs that have been denied by the SEC so far. And we'll see what happens. I don't know if it's going to get approved or not. But that's all part of being an investor. You get to understand the situation, as I've explained to you. You get to understand what the risks and rewards are, the timeframes. And then you get to decide if that makes sense for you or not. And I'd love to hear what you have to say. So hit me up on social media, at the number one Mark Moss, just at one Mark Moss. You can find me on Instagram, on Twitter. Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear it. And uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mark Moss Show, talking about the decentralized revolution, talking about... Bitcoin, talking about cryptocurrencies, talking about it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. So you can have a better sense. You can have more context to what the heck is going on in the world today. Hopefully that makes sense to you. Hopefully I'm making it easy to understand. Make sure to tune in with me each and every week on this channel. Check out my new website at one Mark Moss, same as my social media handles. And if you missed any of this, you can catch it on the iHeart Podcast Network. Just go to your podcast player and search Mark Moss Podcast. And that's what I got for you today, all right? Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.